that to be a life-giving thing for us all. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. All right, so we have been going through a series called Church Near Me, uh, and this is the last of the, the third of three messages. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Ephesians 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have actual physical copies in the back, and you can snag one of those. Uh, so we're in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 22. I'm going to read off the screen so I get the, the right slides for you all. Ephesians 2, 14 through 22. Basically, over this three weeks, um, church near me is like the number one most Googled search that anyone does when they're looking for a new church. And so the question that we've been asking is, what are people searching for when we search for a church? And that's just not people on Google. That's all of us. We're all searching for kind of what the church ought to be, and we're letting the Bible teach us as what it ought to be. So Ephesians 2, 14 through 22, I'll read it here. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let me pray for us all. Lord, as we learn more from your word, um, we know that it's not just a, a random book. It's a living book and it's, it's how you reveal yourself to us. And this is a spiritual act that we all get to enter into. That means we can't do it ourselves. Holy Spirit, we need you to reveal this, these truths to us. So as we all kind of sit and surrender to um, how you call us to live, I pray that we would uh, see it as attractive. And the places that do offend us, I, say that I would pray that we would also surrender that. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us a glimpse of this kind of grand reality that you've called each one of us to, that we would be able to uh, get just a little bit bigger of a glimpse of that and a little bit bigger glimpse of how great you are. Lord, we pray this in advance. Amen. Amen. So we are really going to be focusing on the last couple of verses, but definitely keep your Bible open because we'll be referring to um, a few things uh, in there. Now, I, one of the things that just kind of struck me when reading these verses was how us humans are really, we're given such like a, a dignity like a, we're giving such a grand kind of vision for who we are as, as people, as created beings. I mean, if you read the Bible for any length of time, you find out that God has created us with this inherent dignity outside of the, before we even get to do anything, just out of who he's made us to be, a type of like reflective glory that we have in ourselves. The Bible talks about how we're made just a little bit lower than the angels and the, that we're made in the image of God himself. Now, if you've been around the church, you've heard that loads of times, we're made in the image of God. But if we just like think about that for a moment, that's kind of a crazy, wacky thing. We're made in the image of God. Like God is, God the Father is spirit. He doesn't have a body. And yet there's something about how we're made, even like our fingers or something that reflects who God is. That's a really weird, mysterious, and really kind of cool thing. And I could just kind of sit here in silence and just kind of get my mind blown over it for a bit, but we'll continue. Uh, now, uh, I think that's just kind of generally ought to be astounding. And in fact, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that tells us 
uh, that we have eternity in our hearts. We have eternity like set in our hearts. We are creatures with inherent worth and like a cosmic purpose. And all of us feel this purpose. It doesn't matter if you follow Jesus or not. All of us feel a really big purpose. And all we do in our passions and what gets us excited, we're all grasping at a bit of that weighty purpose of what it means to really be alive, to truly be, uh, to, to get that feeling of life, to gain some kind of connection with God. And I think we do it in all sorts of ways. That can be like really good ways. And that can be really bad ways. We can try and gain that connection with like a godlike kind of status through drinking, through drugs, through sex, all sorts of things. Or we can do it in very good ways of like uh, put it, pouring our lives into a career, into a family. Sometimes outwardly, some are good, some are bad. But inwardly, we all just want to get that connection with God. There's a famous quote by G.K. Chesterton who wrote, Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. At some level, we're all looking for God in all the things that we do. Now, we know that our problem isn't that uh, we are in great into living into that big, massive purpose. Two chapters away from being made into the image of God, we find a really quick way to disfigure that image. Like, we're going to mess it up. Just give us a little bit of freedom. We'll, we will completely mess it up. The same verse that talks about having eternity set inside us also says we can't actually figure it out by ourselves. And so we have this like, great kind of grand vision but also we're kind of inept by ourselves to sort it out. We have worth, but we're also really needy. And after a while, that neediness, if, if we try and bear it ourselves, will kind of bring us down. And we'll end up settling just a little bit. And then we'll end up settling just a little bit. We'll end up settling just a little bit. And by the time the decades stack up, we've kind of settled for a really lesser life. We have less for ourselves and that makes less for others. But the invitation that God offers anyone and everyone is a life of meaning, is a life of consequence, something that truly matters, and will have a legacy beyond our lives. And because Jesus knows that we can't do this on our own, he knows how needy and how kind of inept we really are, he's the one who does the heavy lifting and we get to follow. So all of us are needy, broken people. We're all searching for the church. And what we're going to learn is the church is joined by Jesus, raised by Jesus, built by Jesus. Those last two verses that we have, the church is raised by Jesus, uh, um, uh, built by Jesus, and brings together, he's the one who brings us together. And what he does, he takes people who are separate, who are by ourselves, we have that like, big massive calling, but also the, uh, a big massive neediness. He takes all those needy people who are also amazingly worthy and brings them all together and tells them, this is how you're gonna live. And so we're gonna find out, how, what do we learn about the church? through uh, this section of Ephesians, especially these last two verses. And what we're going to see especially is how through Jesus' work, what he does is he builds us into a rising temple. He builds us into a rising temple. Let me read the, uh, verses uh, 21 and 22 again here. That's what we'll focus on. In him, uh, is in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The very first thing we're going to get to is Jesus is the one that joins us together. Verse 21, in him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together. Now, what he's referring to is in the previous verses, the building being us, the temple, like the, um, a building of people. It's not this actual like physical pub building or a church building, the building being the church, being the people. Now, humans need a deep connection with each other. Has, any, has anyone felt a little bit isolated or locked down? No? It's just me? Just me feeling a little bit, like, lonely? No? Okay. Well, I guess I'm the weird one. 
you might have, you know, maybe felt it was just you. I think that's one of the things about being lonely. You feel like you're the only one who's feeling this, and that adds to your loneliness. But Jesus welcomes us as we are, wherever we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. He joins us together. Now, notice, in, in this verse, in verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together. He's doing the joining. Jesus is the one who's joining people together. Good leadership does not join us together. I mean, it can, but only to a point. Good events don't do this. Good relationships with each other don't. Those are all really good things, and hopefully churches have those things. But those are insufficient in themselves for a church to truly be joined together. If all the church has is like good leadership and good friends and all that kind of stuff, maybe it'll grow and everything. But it has to have Jesus joining it together. Otherwise, what are we doing? Often, though, in churches, what joins people together are preferences. This type of music, this type of preaching, this type of accent, not this type of accent, a different one. Uh, these type of programs, like you go to a church, you're looking for, or do you have this kind of ministry? Now, it's not bad to have preferences, but it is bad to have preferences rule your life. That's not a good thing. I think that the reason why it's so easy for us is because we are such consumers. From like out of the womb, uh, we are told your preferences are okay to rely on. And, and big business is going to love this because the more you rely on your preferences, the more money they get. So, of course, they want you to make sure you're going to rely on your preferences. So the more you buy, which is the more choices that you have, uh, the more you feel like you're just, you're like a little God in your own life. And everyone should probably bow down to you and to your preferences. Now, you can find a community when, um, when searching for things to tick your boxes, but it's only going to be so deep. It's not really going to get into your soul. It will never get beyond a certain level. And the metaphor that Paul has uh, in, the, in this verse here is like a joiner or a bricky. Like they, they join things together, working with wood and glue or however joiners work. I'm completely clueless. I know at least a bricky uses bricks and mortar. I knew that. And if it's done right, it's joined together so close that there's no room for anything else to get in. If, a, if you made a brick wall and there's like a bunch of holes in it, you'd be like, that's a really poor brick wall. But if you had a brick wall without holes in it, at least like, that's like how a wall ought to be. There's no room for anything else to become part of that wall. In fact, if there are cracks, that's a structural problem. And maybe an interesting metaphor, it's an integrity problem. There's an integrity problem if there are cracks in the wall that Jesus has built. And Jesus joins together the church in such a way where there ought to be so much of him that nothing else is going to rule the day. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have preferences. It doesn't mean we don't make choices. We have to do those things. But there ought to be so much of Jesus that we're actually joined together by him. And there's no kind of crack, no kind of place in order for something else to, to rule the day and to, to talk about how we're going to be joined together. We all have our ways of doing ministry and redeeming. You have to pick one as a church. It's kind of how it works. We have our missional communities throughout the week. We have a certain ways of doing Sundays. And those are great, but that's not what binds us together. Good Lord, please let it be something better than that. I mean, they're, they're great, but... It's in themselves, events are not a reason to get up or to stay out late. It's when there's not enough of Jesus that these spaces can form. And nature abhors a vacuum, and so do our desires. So we want to fill them quickly with what we think we should do, our preferences, or how things ought to be done. Now give that, sign, that, give that some time, and the integrity of the church ends up being not Jesus holding things together, but our plans, our preferences, and our programs. But the whole church, according to how Jesus is telling us how to run the thing, the whole church is joined together by Jesus. In fact, this isn't even a, a you ought to do this. This is a, just a reality. In him, the whole building is joined by him. So if it's a church, this is how it works. I, yeah, like, it's just kind of like assumed. 
Now, there uh, are more kind of some subtle ways we undermine, undermine this, this joint building. We're, no one's going to say, I'm going to really undermine the integrity of this church. I mean, maybe there's a few people like that, but generally, that's not the average person. But we know like we're, none of us are, you know, are, are 100% perfect. We just had a time of confession. So we're all, going to ha- we're all going to contribute to possible cracks in this building. When we offend each other, we're called to be quick to forgive. Uh, but we will still be tempted to be slightly cold which isn't really forgiveness. It's like faux forgiveness. Maybe blank them if there's an opportunity. If we aren't joined by Jesus, we'll find ourselves objectifying other people because they cease to become people and then they become problems. You see that person just as an issue or just as a problem or just as a possible cog in some kind of machine. It's easy to feel better than someone when we take them down a notch. That's what you have to do if you don't forgive somebody. You have to take them down a notch. If Jesus isn't joining us together, the church will become the religious race to the most self-righteous. And that is a place of death. No one wants to go there. This can also just simply be like not saying hello to somebody. Like, oh, I don't really want to say hello to that person. It's easy for me to not say hello to them, so I'm not going to. Like, we, we have those conversations within us in our hearts. Or thinking less of someone because they're from some other kind of background. Regardless of any other kind of background. Which like, oh, well, you know, they're not like this. Therefore, you know, I can't interact with them the way I normally would. This is what happens when you see others uh, as less than a person, when we, see, when we fail to see others who are as needy and glorious as ourselves. Now, we all have our preferences, and we've been taught since the day we're born that we should follow our preferences. This is consumerism 101, and this is uh, how 90% of life will teach you how to live. But living by preferences only will lead you to a prison because you're stuck in by your own choices. Now, unlike physical bricks and mortar, this building that Jesus is joining together is alive. It's actually doing things. It gets, it gets together. It's in an active process now. Uh, and that's where I think passivity is another killer to deep connection. If Redeemer loses the plot, if we go out, it's not going to be in like a blaze of glory, a big massive explosion. It'll be in like the slow slide to niceness, where we're not really anything else but nice people who do nice things and are kind of generally nice in general, which would just be like boring and not really effective and not really on the mission that God has called us to. Now, of course, it's okay to be nice. I'm not saying nice is bad, but nice is just a religious way of being good. And we ought to be nice, but please, Lord, let us be something more than nice. God is teaching us here that humans need deep connection with each other, and Jesus joins us together. Okay, so that's our first section here. Let's get to the second section. Jesus raises us together. In verse 21, it says, in him, the whole building is joined together. And then uh, the second part, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. It rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Paul could have stopped with that first metaphor. In him, the whole building is joined together. And he could have moved on, but he keeps going. He's saying, oh, it rises into a temple. And not not just a temple, but a, a holy temple. Like he's, he's kind of uh, layering on all these metaphors, and, and there's a reason here. So we're going to take some time and look at that. Uh, it's a very striking kind of way of speaking, a rising temple. What's going on here? Well, humans need a deep purpose in life, and Jesus raises us to this. Now, Charlton has loads of events. We've experienced some already this week. There are loads of community groups, from knitting to other languages to football, all sorts. I really I love that about where we live. I think it's one of the great things about Charlton, the Charlton area. And some of these groups will be able to offer community. Some of them will be able to offer friendship, and that's fantastic. I bet, though, some people will think the church is just one option among many for community. 
And that's like the best thing a church could offer is like, you know, friendships and people who are nice to each other. But the church is, in this verse, is being described as something much different than that. No, not less than community, not less than friendship, but something more. And so the layers of, of metaphor that, that God is teaching us here is that Jesus, we talked two weeks ago, is the foundation of the building, and in him we are joined together, and in him this whole building rises to become a holy temple. Rises as in like a rise to prominence or a rise to fame or uh, a rise to recognition. It's like something that's small, but it becomes, it becomes bigger, like seed to a tree. Something that was potential and then becomes an actualized thing. Something that um, wasn't really doing thing much before, but now is actually like doing a whole lot now. So we rise into a holy temple. And Paul's emphasizing something here because he could have just said you rise to a temple. Everyone would have known a temple is holy. Like that's what a temple is. But he's like emphasizing here, a holy temple. You rise to become a holy temple. He's making this bold idea of holiness. Holiness is authentic faith that has deep roots. It's not just what we do on the outside. It's who we are on the inside and how we act when no one's looking. Now, we're going to go a little bit into just about what a temple is. I don't know if anybody maybe has a, a background in what the Old Testament says, like a temple is about. If you do, you can kind of like, you know, nod off here and I'll let you know when we're going to the next section. For everyone who maybe needs to know, uh, what really is a temple? I know it's like a place of worship, but what's, what's the deal? Three things I just wanted to quickly hit up. First, a temple is a symbol of God's presence. When the temple was first built by Solomon in Jerusalem in the Old Testament, way, way, way back, this is like, you know, this section of the Bible, we're on the other section of the Bible. The Bible says the glory of the Lord filled it. In fact, when the temple was built and they're like worshiping, they have this like week-long worship thing. I mean, if you think, you know, an hour and a half on Sunday is long, you've not been to a Old Testament Israel worship service where it goes for a whole week. And it's going for a week and people are worshiping the Lord. And what's crazy is the glory of the Lord came, up, came upon the temple in such a way it filled it where everyone had to get out. Like the priest couldn't continue offering sacrifices because the, the presence of the Lord was so like thick and, and present and like manifested itself where it, it, people couldn't even stay there. I don't know really what that means. All I know is imagine if that happened here where like we have a worship service, maybe not for a week. I mean, come on, we're human, right? Um, maybe we go for an hour, and all of a sudden it's, uh, we're, we're like overcome by the Spirit of the Lord that we can't even continue singing. We can't even continue hearing His Word. We have to like leave the pub. What would people do downstairs? Like, what in the world is going on up there? Probably think we're crazy. So it's an overwhelming symbol of God's presence. Uh, so that's what a temple is. A temple is also a space of worship. That's what temple is made for. A, a temple is a place where you go and worship the Lord. God made it really easy for us to worship him. So in the Old Testament, he created a literal place to do it on top of a hill. Uh, But Paul here, he's using that physical temple as a metaphor for the people of God. So it's not a physical space anymore. It's not geographical anymore. it's It's not a church building anymore. Paul's talking about a people. So that means the space of worship that that Jesus is joining together is not this building, but it's our relationships connected to it with each other as we talk to the Lord, as we hear from him, as we pray, as we sing. It's not this building, it's not this event, it exists in relationships that we have with God and with each other. That's what Jesus has joined together. And lastly, so it's a, uh, a symbol of God's presence, it's a space of worship. Lastly, a temple is also where heaven and earth meet. In the Old Testament, God is often described as residing in heaven. 
and then we, we reside here on earth and God lives in heaven. The main exception of that is his temple. It's like God's home. In fact, when David wanted to build God a temple, he saw his home. David saw his own home. He's like, wow, my home's really glorious. Wait, God, you don't have a home. So he wanted to build God like a place for him to live. And God kind of condescended to that kind of, of way of, of, uh, of, live, of, of acting. The temple is where God and man meet, where heaven and earth are connected. Now, we don't have time to do this, but if we were to look at the imagery of the Old Testament temple and how it was created and like the dimensions and the furniture and the way, uh, the, um, the way that things were uh, drawn on curtains and things like that, you have images of earth and images of heaven right next to each other in the same space. So if you were to enter that temple, you would see, like literally with your eyes, place, like images of, of earth and images of heaven in the same space. That's what a temple is supposed to be about, where heaven and earth meet together. And how could I resist a good Venn diagram? Heaven and earth meeting together. You know I love them. This is us in the middle. We have earth. We have heaven. This is who Jesus is raising us up to be. We live in that, in, in, in that overlap. That's an amazing thing. You don't think that when you're doing the washing up on Tuesday evening. You're like, oh, okay, I'll just get this done while I listen to a podcast, whatever the thing is. But even in that moment, you're living in the seam between heaven and earth. What an amazing thing that we get to experience. And if you look at verse 22, Paul explains a little bit more about this temple. Verse 22 says, uh, we have become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, God makes us these temples, a dwelling. So this temple is also a home, a home where God lives by the Holy Spirit. And a home is for God is not something that you pick up from time to time. God didn't get on the property ladder in your, in your home, in your heart, and be like, okay, I'll buy this one for a bit. I'll flip it, renovate it, flip it, move on to the next one. He's not renting like week to week or month to month. He's there, and he's not moving. He's made a stake in the ground. Kind of weird in the heart. However, what if the metaphor works outside of a stake being in your heart? I'm getting derailed a little bit. He dwells in your heart, in this space. Now, Paul is describing who we are, not individually. Though that's true. Everything I just said is true of the individual. But that's actually not what Paul is talking about in these verses here. Paul is talking about us together in the plural. And we talked about this last week a bit. Who we are together. Now, whether you or I feel it or not, this is true. That means God's presence here is thick with the Holy Spirit. We don't always feel it. We don't always see it. It doesn't mean it's not true. We are a space of worship, us together, where heaven and earth meet. Now that, this, that's a lot better than just nice community. I'm hoping that we're a nice community. We also get to be this rising temple together where heaven and earth meet in the way that we worship the Lord and all the things that we do. So Jesus raises us to be a rising temple. And the structure that Jesus is creating, it doesn't, it doesn't fall to the lowest common denominator. Uh, so if you feel challenged, that's a good thing because Jesus raises us. He doesn't lower us. He raises us. Healthy challenge, what it actually does, it turns potential into actual. That's why anybody would get a trainer in a gym to, to get your potential into actual. That's a healthy kind of challenge. Uh, it, it, Jesus doesn't raise us for us to just kind of fall in line with the majority culture. He raises us to, do, to be and act differently. It doesn't fall to the level of self-righteousness. It gives us the base we need so we can be honest with our own failures and still move on as that rising temple together. And a rising temple is for everyone to see. It's not hidden. 
And it's not only for one ethnicity, one class background, one, uh, you know, enter in all the things that we do to separate ourselves. A rising temple is for everybody. A subterranean temple will be this idea that faith, my faith is really private and it's really only about me and God and I don't really interact with very many other people. That's a subterranean temple. That is not what Jesus is building. That's not what Jesus raised us to be. It's a, a, a raising temple is one that's like set on a mountaintop for everyone to see. And in the Old Testament, uh, there is a symbol for that kind of temple. The prophets talk about it often. It's set high on top of the hill of Jerusalem and the top of the temple is gold. And so you can see it from a long ways back. It like glints in the sunlight. You can see it. It's kind of like a, like a beacon, like a, a second sun. And it glints from far away. And you, if you see it from far away, it has what looks like rivers flowing upward, like an upward flowing, not just one river, multiple rivers flowing up into this mountain. But when you get closer, you see they're not rivers at all. These are people streaming upward to the temple of God because God is raising them up to be this rising temple. That is what the prophets in the Old Testament talked about who we are today, what we're doing now. Even in this pub with this carpet and this kind of setup and all this kind of stuff, that's actually who we are. I mean, what could it look like for our church to be more like who we are, which is a rising temple? I mean, I think that really sounds exciting. And it's not just because I had Vimto this morning. (laughs) We live in that scene between heaven and earth. So let's not focus on the lowest common denominator stuff that churches can get stuck on. What big things are we going to do as a church? We even, I mean, there's not loads of people here, but actually, if we were all on the same page, we can do loads through Jesus. What do you want to be known for? Oh, I'm part of Redeemer. Oh, yeah, that's the church that, what? What do you want Redeemer to be known for? What are some potentials within you that you're excited to kind of live out in ways that maybe you haven't before, or you have, but you want to see them kind of magnified even more than before? Working for justice, other people hearing about how God loves them, more baptisms, loving and caring for kids and youth, the world of the arts, of family life, the business world. What could a rising temple in South Manchester look like? We're just one of, among them, but what could it look like for us? So what I would like to do is if you could take your phone out and if you go to, yes, there we are. You go to redeemermcr.com slash ask. There is, it's an anonymous form. I will not get any information about who sends this. Uh, answer this question. It's quick, don't spend, a, don't write a paragraph. Uh, what could a rising temple in South Manchester look like? Uh, I'm gonna just spend the time waiting for you to do that, staring at you. Um, so how often do you have a pastor saying, wouldn't it be great if you just take your phone out and like, you know, not look at me for a bit? So take your phone out, go to that thing. What would you like the church to be, your church, whatever church you're a part of, whether it's Redeemer or whatever, what would you like your church to be known for? And I'll read them out later on. It's not going to be attached to your name or an email or anything, but I'll read them out later on. And I think we'll, I don't know, probably hear some really great stuff. I'm going to wait for 30 seconds. Take a drink. normally happens here is my wife will send me very stupid things and try and trick me into reading them out loud. Or she'll talk about, um, 
Mm, okay. So, hey, do you date anybody? Yeah. What are you doing tonight? <laughs> now, I did read him out now. Now, who's embarrassed? See? Yes, I texted <laughs> You can keep typing if you want, but we'll, um, we'll keep going here. I think humans generally, we, we need a deep purpose in life. Jesus is the one who raises us. And Jesus joins us together. He raises us together. The last thing we're going to look at here is at the end of verse 22. Uh, Jesus uh, builds us together. And the last bit here, it says, uh, and, and all of verse 22, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. We, this specific church, are included here. So Paul's talking about um, you know, the church in general rising to become this, uh, this, uh, this temple and to the church at Ephesus, this is in, in, in him too, and in, in him, you too are being built like this. Like specifically you too, church at Ephesus, specifically you too, church in Turleton, uh, you too are being built together. So what does that mean? Paul says here, and I'm going to get maybe a little bit specific, focusing on the tense of the verb, being built together. Being built together. Paul does not say you are building this church together. He says you're being built together. So the previous point, maybe it's like a future orientation of like a big vision of what we're going to be. This point is how is this working out in real life? In like in the process, you're now in the process of being built this. Yes, you are this, but you're not completely that yet because you're being built together. You're being built uh, and all, all at once. So this is what's going on now. We haven't already been built, which I'm hoping is, is like good kind of freeing. You don't have to have the burden of having it all figured out. I mean, most of society says you do, and you feel depressed when you don't. But you don't have to. You are in the process of being built together. And that just takes time. Building any kind of structure takes time. And also, we aren't doing the building. Thankfully, it's not on all us. It's not on us to figure it out. It's not like, oh, I love Jesus, and now he's left me to figure out this life on my own. It's like, no, Jesus is the one who first loved me, and he's the one who is building me now through his power now, not through my own. And this is something anyone can get in on. Anyone can be part of this rising temple. Whether you've been a Christian since forever or whether you just become one now, there's nine word in these nine words of verse 22, there's three things I want to focus on here. The first is that we're passive in this. We're being built. We aren't doing the building. The best way for us to work on ourselves is to allow Jesus' work on us. That's the best way for us to work on our lives. We aren't building Jesus's. We aren't joining Jesus's. We don't rise up. We aren't the hero. Jesus raises us. He's the hero. To be passive in his work requires something that's much more difficult than doing things ourselves, requires us to, to surrender to him. Now we, again, that consumeristic life, we want to do the things and do the things ourselves. To kind of give up, surrender, submit a bit to someone else, that really kind of gets our back up a bit, or at least it's difficult. To be passive in his work requires surrendering to him. And when we're passive to his work in our lives, that's ironically that's actually when we become truly active in our lives and other people. The only way we can work on ourselves well, love other people well, is if we're first passive to Jesus' work in our lives, and that will empower us to be active in the world in the way he's called us to. It's very different than a life of passivity. We already talked about that, because you're actually active, but it's where the action becomes, where the action comes. Do I work in order to be seen as good, in order to make the good? Or do I work out of the reality that I've already been made good by Jesus? And it's only through that that I can do anything good in this world. It's a difference. Like, where do you put the work? 
changes it all. And it's not easy to surrender to Jesus. It's a bit of a struggle there. And when we do surrender him to though, we realize he calls us to an active life. But a certain kind of active life, one that relies on his spirit to do the work, where we put our full weight on him, not partially. So we are uh, passive. We're also in progress. We don't have it all together, and nor should we expect to. Who gave you that burden? That is a burden from hell. That is not a burden from Jesus. That does not come from the Lord. That comes from hell. That burden's from hell. So you just throw it back where it belongs. Send it back to hell. This is what a humble life is like. Not being the know-it-all because you don't have all the information. You know you're not there yet. Uh, being okay when someone corrects us because why would we want to continue in the wrong way? Actually, we should, like, we should welcome that. It means the shame we might feel when we don't measure up to whatever religious standards we have on ourselves, that shame itself, that shame gets to go to hell too. That's where Jesus put it. He put it down under the ground. He killed that. There's no reason for us to dig it up and try and resurrect it and put it back on our back. See, Redeemer is a renovation project full of people in the middle of demolition. We're all in that together. We're in progress. But also, lastly, we're plural. All that we talked about is true on the individual level. I've said this previously, um, but this is, again, it's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a plural thing, us together. Saying we are plural sounds like, well, of course, because he said we, like we are plural, but we don't think that. We think we are individuals, like I am who I am, and I'm not, my identity doesn't rest on any of your identities, and I'm really scared of that. That's how we kind of live, but that's not true. It's not how the church is called to live. I think this is probably the biggest boundary to following Jesus in our world the realization that we're actually called to a, a, a community type of identity. Not that we lose our own, but that our, in, in the right community, our own really flourishes and really blossoms. You can't join together an individual thing. If Jesus joins us, that means we cease being mere individuals. Many bricks are joined together. Now, being built together, um, if you come to two things, and are really present in two things. If you're really present on Sunday mornings and are really present in the relationships in your missional community, I think you'll probably get whatever you want out of church. We all have all sorts of things that we want to get out of the church. I think I can probably promise that if you're present, like fully present, not just like sitting there, not really engaging, but like fully present on Sundays as we worship together and in the relationships in your missional community, I think you're gonna get whatever you wish out of a church ever. I'm not saying it's gonna be perfect, it's going to be all the things that you need. What I do know I can promise is if you don't do those things, you will not get whatever you want out of church. That's definitely true. If you don't kind of show up and, and be present with yourself on Sundays and, and in other relationships, you're not going to get what you want out of church for sure. But I think I can promise if you're present in both ways, you're probably going to get everything you want. Now, if I'm wrong there, you can be like, Greg, you promised. I'm like, I'm sorry, I let you down. Now, also, lastly, if we are plural, uh, we, just, we need to be in each other's lives outside of like an hour or an hour and a half, however long Sundays are together. And I think if we live in such a way that even just kind of slightly resembles what Paul's talking about here, that changes the whole rest of our lives. I'm not saying you have to be like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, doing church things all the time, but the, the areas where we are involved in church, for you to engage with your whole self, you're going to get something out of it that you just can't get other, other places. Now, all this requires work. But again, not the kind of typical work that we're used to because our work doesn't come first. His work comes first. Our lives are a response to his work, but we don't do these things in order to be joined. 
We don't do these things in order to rise, in order to build, but because it's all about Jesus. We're joined by him, in him. We're connected to, to each other and to him. We rise together in him. He's given us a purpose that we live out towards each other and for him. And we are being built together, not full stop, being built together in him. Works of progress that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, allows us to work out together and in him. And the only reason this temple rises is because he did. Because he has risen, that's the only hope we can have in this temple rising. This, this is the one reason, uh, this is one of the reasons the resurrection actually matters in real life. You'll be like, why did it matter if Jesus rose from the dead? This is one right here. This is the resurrection power at work. Without the risen Christ behind it all, this temple is not going to rise. Without Christ's resurrection, we could never become members of the Father's family. It would never happen. Without Christ's resurrection, we could never become homes for the Holy Spirit. We can never even begin to think of participating in the work that the Holy Spirit has for us. It's all in Him. And as we contemplate the power of the resurrection, the powerful resurrected one, we should be overwhelmed at the gifts that He's given us. And remember, this is something anyone can get in on, anyone who wants to follow Jesus. So we will celebrate the Lord's Supper, and as we do, we're going to remember His work. All of what we talked about today came with a price, one that was beyond our own ability to pay. And Jesus paid with his own life to make it happen, to change us. Now we have the bread and the cup underneath your seat. Uh, the wafer represents Jesus's body. The cup represents Jesus's blood. And just as this fruit was crushed to make, to fill this cup, Christ was crushed to fill us up so that we wouldn't just get a little like sip or a little morsel, that our whole lives would be overflowing with the love that Jesus has for us and for others. What we get to as we, as we celebrate, what we, what we, the way we do it is we, uh, we take communion while we sing together and worship together. What we get to do is uh, kind of bask in the glory and the joy of being Jesus's rising temple together. So if you're like, what kind of emotion should I bring with myself as we celebrate communion? Bring that with you. Whatever kind of comes to mind with the reality of, the, of you being part of this temple together, that joy, that glory that you have that God is continuing to call out of you, that's what we get to live in together. And so as we eat and drink, let's remember that. Let's keep that in our heads, that Jesus is the one who's doing that together. He joins us together, satisfying that deep connection that we need as humans. This is why we eat and drink, by the way, together and not just by ourselves. He raises us together, satisfying that longing in our lives for meaning. Instead of going hungry, Jesus fills us up. And he builds us together, walking with us all along the way. As much as we depend on food and drink, we depend on him to give us what we need. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us 